0: let's see.
1: Usually, we're done a little after seven.
0: A little after seven. So, if I, you give me fifteen minutes, right? Oh, wait a minute. I got a little bit more in that. Okay. Uh, any any questions at all before I dig into the scriptures uh, about the Amish? I know we didn't really talk a lot about what they believe. We have a whole another presentation on that. Um, in a nutshell, I, I, the best way I could explain it to you is: I met up with this was a, one of the Bucky Mennonite uh, young men. His name was Willie. And I had just led another uh, Mennonite boy to Christ. We were traveling in my car, traveling on 5:45, and I was asking this young Mennonite boy if he knew he was going to heaven. And he was pretty sure that he was going. And I asked him how he, where he got his assurance from. And he tried to tell me. And I said, uh, I, I just, I finally said, I don't think you really know, do you? And he said, I don't. I don't. I'd like to know. And so we just pulled over off the side of the road. And we pulled my Bible out of the glove compartment. And... That young man got saved. We had Vacation Bible School back at my church. Drove back, came back there, and he jumps out of the car, and he jumped hooping and hollering. I just got saved. I just got saved. And the next Sunday, he brought Willie. Now, Willie was a Bucky Mennonite, and so he brings Willie right up to me, and he goes, this was before the service, and he said, uh, Willie needs Jesus, and uh, I want you to save him. I I said, uh, I I cannot save Willie. And I said, right now, and and it was kind of quick, and I I, I probably, if I had it over to do with, we would have took time right then, and I would have went and shared instead of going to the church service. But I said, after the church service, Willie and I will sit down, and we'll talk about how he can be saved. So I asked Willie, how does a buggy Mennonite get to heaven? And he said, well, we believe that uh, you have to obey your parents. I said, well, that's good. And we believe that you have to be separate from the world. And I said, well, I think that's good, and it's scriptural, and we have to be baptized. And we have this ordinance letter that structures us, to, to, sort of like a fence that protects us from the world. And um, kind of went on down the line and he I I said, Well, where does Jesus fit in all of this? He goes, Oh, we believe in Jesus too. But I noticed right away that hit the focus was all on other stuff, not Jesus. And so I pulled my pen out and this is so true and I've used his illustration many times over the years. I said, Willie, I want you to look at my pen. And I want you to know that this pen represents Jesus Christ. Now, you've given me a whole bunch of different things that you believe in that makes you right with God, but I'm going to take them away one at a time. So we're going to take baptism. We're going to set it over here. Church ordinance letter, we're going to put it over here. Separation from the world, put it over here. Parental obedience, put it over here. And we took one by one until we came down to just a pen. And I said, now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except through me. And the Holy Spirit used that scripture to reach into Willie's heart. And Willie began to tears started coming down his face. And I knew right away that we were as, it was it was we were just within seconds of God saving his life and Willie did. And out of that we, had, we started a Bible study in that community. The first night we came, the whole living room was so packed full. You, we were all sitting on top of each other. But these Mennonites were as hungry. They were sponges. But that's, that's how it happens. Um, I, um, that is the best way I can describe it. it it's, it's like the Amish. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Walking after the flesh or walking after the spirit? How do we know the difference? My brother Johnny uh, teaches that class, and I always appreciate listening to him. He's very passionate. But I said, Johnny, I've thought about it. Two men could park their cars in the church parking lot, get out of their cars, and come walking toward the church house, all dressed up in ties, jacket, looking on the outward. One could have the Spirit of God living in them, and the other one may not. I could even take it a step further, and I could say that both of these men have been faithful for 30 and 40 and 50 years. Both men have been involved in ministries But one has the Spirit of God living in them, and the other one doesn't. Romans chapter 8 talks about that Christ dwells in you, and that's the difference between salvation and, and one who is not saved. It's We were not born with Jesus living in us, or the Spirit of God living and dwelling in us. That happens the moment we are born again. So, and, it, and I said, Johnny, one day God will separate the tares from the wheat. We cannot judge. Even in our little congregation here tonight, we don't know. We can only, you know, we can, I, I, I if you come up and tell me that you're saved, I, I will trust that you know that you are saved. If I tell you that I'm saved, you'll have to trust that I am. I know what I'm talking about. I had a young couple yesterday morning. This happens on a regular basis. Um, young couple from uh, Indiana stop in there, and um, he was uh, sitting there telling me how he left the Amish and and ended up in prison twice, and and ended up in Colorado and. And then got saved. And I said, tell me your testimony. Because I want, just because he says he got saved, I still want to hear your testimony. This Tuesday night, I'm meeting with all three of these young people that want to get baptized. I I want to know their testimony, right? I want to set a time aside, and I want to know When did you get saved, and how do you know you're saved? Because if you're not saved and you get baptized, you just get wet. There's so many things that we can make it look so good on the outside. But I'm more interested, and God is more interested in knowing what is in the heart. And um, somebody recently said, well, you know, we're talking about, well, you can lose your salvation or you can't lose your salvation. And, and then this person began to talk about how, well, you say that somebody can get saved and go out and live like the devil. And he named a bunch of things they could do. And, and I said, no, I'm not saying that at all. I said, if somebody does that, I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. And and his testimony does not, does not have, uh, how can I put this, his his testimony, if he says he got saved and lives like the devil, that does not change the word of God. The word of God is still the same. It never changes. I don't know if I'm making sense, but my salvation is not based on his testimony. My salvation and your salvation is based on the word of God. And we got to stay close to the word of God. And that's If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Boy, older I get, I had, there's four of us brothers that have left the Amish. One of my brothers did very well in the construction business. He he literally became a multimillionaire, and he is one of the younger ones. There were 14 in my family, I'm the oldest, he was one of the younger ones. And he always showed up for church. He always showed up for prayer meeting. But he was just sort of going through the formality because he was a very busy man, and he owned many houses, rentals, and everything else. And one day, God got a hold of him. This was about a year and a half ago. And within six months, he sold his business. He sold every piece of equipment he had. He sold his house. And he made this crazy move to California. Now, I remember right before he went to California, took his family, his wife, his children, I sat at the Cattleman's Restaurant in Savannah, Ohio, and we're sitting there, and he's shaking all over. He's just shaking. He said, I just can't get enough of God. I just can't get enough of him. And I was convicted I was very convicted. But I guess the reason I'm even sharing this story with you is he went out and, to California and joined a school that is very much into the spirit. Okay? Walking after the spirit. They've kind of taken the word of God and chucked it, right? One of those students came through Ohio, called me, and I still don't know who the guy was, but he needed a place to live, or live, to sleep, and wanted to know if he could stay with us. And so we welcomed him into our home, and that night he said, doctrine divides. He said, chuck doctrine. That's in the past. Follow the Spirit. And... I guess really the point I'm trying to make is we have got to stick with the Word of God because I will tell you the spirit people who say they follow and and and, and they follow the spirit almost become their own authority if they're hearing from God and you're not, they become the authority so in second Corinthians chapter five verse seven. The scriptures say, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. I'm all for walking in the Spirit. I really am. I think maybe, and this is one thing, I I refer back to missionary training school so much, That week, D.H. Easter, that man impacted me in balancing walking by faith, walking in the spirit, and walking in the flesh, and by sight. He balanced that all out, and there is a balance. I I just want to say that, but um, going back to this, walking by faith... um, Our faith is being tested like never before. And uh, if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I was just reading this yesterday. And uh, as you're turning there, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there comes a falling away first. What do these people look like that are falling away? What do they look like? What do they... How do we... We know that they're going to be deceived, and they are being deceived. How do we keep from falling in that trap? Because in the latter days, I, and I can see it more clearly today than ever before, that this, this is the reality. This this is really happening all around us. They have a sense, I mean, even going back, to, I don't want to camp out on this school in California, but there's so many of them. I will tell you, the Amish tend to go by feelings more than anything else, and they are drawn to feelings and emotions, and that is something that we have we have had to, to deal with time and time and on it's on and on it it doesn't stop. But I I'm that's again why um, I am becoming so more and more dogmatic about the Word of God. Hebrews chapter eleven verse sixteen. We know this is the faith chapter. It says, but now they desired a better country. I want to read that again and add names from the previous verses. And now they, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, by faith they desired a better country. That is heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. These people, church, these people had not seen that heavenly city. They had never seen it, and yet they believed it by faith. And they kept their eyes on God and what he had promised them. And I just want to challenge us today that no matter what happens in our world today, keep your eyes on the word of God. Keep your eyes, Esther and I have read through the book of Revelation. We're just ready to read the last chapter. We've spent probably three months in this book. And and it has been a big eye-opener for me. Because I had not read the book of Revelation in a long time. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Look at this, church. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Choosing rather to suffer affliction, regardless of what came their way. Regardless of what comes our way, church. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't take it off. The promises are true. Walk by faith, because the thing we're going through right now is only for a season. It really is. In in light of eternity, it's just like a speck. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, at least not physically. They had not received the promises. But having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. There are two worlds. There's the seen and the unseen. In order to be part of the seen world, you have to be born into it. In order to be part of the unseen world, you have to also be born into it. The spiritual world requires faith. The physical world requires sight. And I know it's easy to walk by sight. An Amish guy recently took me to Galatians chapter 5 and he said, Look, the, the first sins of the flesh is fear. And I had never really seen that before. But it really spoke to me. Fear being the first one on the list of the sins of the flesh. Fear is the opposite of faith. And I, I know, you know, we, what we all just came through, um, pandemic. And I remember we were all concerned. But I remember some Christian people being fearful, very fearful. And to that I always felt like, you know, it is appointed unto man once to die, not one minute early, and not one minute late. And we should not have fear. It's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of what we've just read about in Hebrews. It's easy to, to, to walk through this world by sight, but we are asked to walk by faith. Some Old Testament uh, examples would be Abel walked by faith, Cain walked by sight, and we know that story well. Lot walked by sight when he looked out over what we now know as Sodom and Gomorrah his eyes led him to make decisions that would later get him in trouble. Abraham, on the other hand, walked by faith. Didn't ever really thought about this before, but it was the the spiritual world, this this world that we are walking by faith in, this spiritual world is actually the world that created the physical world. So in a sense, the, the, the... the spiritual world has always been over the physical world. Could we say that in a sense, the spiritual world is almost more real than the physical world because it's been around so much more longer. Both of them are real. Not saying they're not. So Hebrews eleven six, 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the key the pleasing God, by faith. We've not been to heaven, but God has given us the word of God. We have read about heaven. We have enjoyed reading about heaven. I don't think it is comparable to anything we ever have had here on earth. When I hear pure water, crystal clear water, golden streets... I think it's gold like we've never seen gold before. I think it's pure like we've never seen pure crystal like we've never seen. It is unbelievable what we are going to be a part of. And it is by faith, just like these other, other, um, other ones that said they desired a better, better country, that is a heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, because he has prepared a city for them. Is one born, I ask the question here, is one born of faith, with faith? Are we born with it? First Corinthians chapter 12 says faith is a gift. I'm also reminded of the disciples when they call out to Jesus and ask him to increase their faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And I, I, I know that for a fact. I know when I get busy and I'm not in the word, the first thing that gets attacked is my faith. Faith. The first area I get weak in is faith. Even though I've read these scriptures over and over and over through the years, when I open the Word of God, it's the living Word of God. It gives life. It increases your faith. Stay in the Word. It is such a simple and something that we talk about and preach about and But it is a powerful and must for the Christian. Faith comes from sitting under sound, biblical teaching and preaching. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And then it says, don't forsake, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Even more so, as you see the day approaching. Why why did he say that? Because he knew our faith would be tested. I think it's Luke chapter 18 where we read about the widow and the unjust judge. And right there at the very end of that um, context, it says something about when Christ returns, will he found faith on the earth? Will he find? Is there going to be any faith left? And that, those things, those, that just tells me uh, it, it, it's, not, it's not going to get easy. We ha- and we can't wait until, um, until it gets so thick. We, we have to be prepared and in it all the time, even before it gets thicker than what it is. Is faith a feeling? Can a, can a person lose hope and still have faith? Is faith an action? Those are questions I have on my notes here. Is faith an action? We can read about a dead faith, Right? A faith, but no result from that faith. It's, it's literally a dead horse. And talk about that. I guess where I wanted to end up with is, I am, I am convinced, and I will, I will end with this, I just heard this week one of our supporting churches closing the doors, and that always bothers me. Somewheres, they were going up, 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 and then they uh, plateaued, and then they came down. Somewheres, faith was lost. I'm convinced that people go in circles because of a lack of faith. And we know that from the Old Testament. The children of Israel circled around for 40 years. Why? Because of one thing, they lacked faith. There's only one reason why a family would continue to fall apart. Only one reason, lack of faith in action. They may know things, they may say they believe But there's no faith there. There's only one reason why our neighborhood would go to hell. And that is because of a lack of faith in action. There's only one reason why our churches would close the door. Our lack of faith in action. There's only one reason why a pastor or missionary would leave the ministry. Because of a lack of faith. There's only one reason why the United States would fall apart. Or the world would fall apart. Because I believe that. This is my belief. This is my personal belief. And I think I'm right. I believe that if we as Christians put our faith into action, this world would not fall apart. It's when we lose faith and we die out and we do no longer the salt of the earth, that the world goes the way it does. God's people are the salt. It is not always who we blame. We could blame Washington. We could blame other people for not leading right. But if they're not Christians they're going to lead like a worldly person would lead, right? The church, the church is the one who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The church is the one who has that supernatural power to go forth. And it says the gates of hell will not prevail. I asked somebody recently, what are the gates of hell to you? What do you think when it says the gates of hell? And he said, well, I think of the biggest, monstrous army of demonic forces you could ever think of. I said, okay, the gates of hell. All of that is not going to prevail. The church is the most powerful um, thing on earth. And when this, when the church gets raptured out of here and there's no more church here and no more Holy Spirit here to, to, to be salt and to spread the gospel and to make an impact and hold back evil, it's going to become the most chaotic place we have ever, we can ever think of. It's going to be so evil. I will tell you, reading through the book of Revelation, Pastor, I... You know, we read about the 144,000. We read about all the ones that are going to get beheaded and suffer, be humiliated, and everything else. I could not help but just pray for them. I don't know who they are. I thought, I wonder if they could be my grandchildren. I wonder if they, well, maybe not my grandchildren, but they're somebody, they're like us, right? They're going to have to go through that. And I just, when we pray, oftentimes I'll just pray for those brothers and sisters. And, um, but, faith, faith, church, we walk by faith and not by sight. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the work that you've done in our lives tonight at this place. I pray you would continue. Pray that we would be protected from Satan as you work in our hearts. And if there's one here that does not know you, oh Lord, I just pray. Tonight, they would place their faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Maybe, they've, maybe you, with our heads bowed, eyes closed, maybe you've attended church, maybe you've been involved in church all your life but you don't remember of a time when you were born again. And to you, I would say tonight, I'd like to give you an opportunity to come and place your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone and nothing else. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, If you don't know Christ as Savior, if you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, if you feel God moving you to put your life and influence in this church as a member, or whatever else it might be, I'm going to be down here at the head of the aisle in just a moment. But what I would like to do, I would like to do, what I feel moved by God to do, is I want to take that little piece of paper. Pastor Steve, could you hand me one of the papers with Ray and Martha's children on it? I hope you have one of these. It says, pray for our children, for Ray and Martha. I'd like you to lift each of their names up before the Lord during this time of invitation. Asking God to convict them of their sin, to draw them to salvation, to see that family restored. This altar is open as a place of prayer right there in your seat, but let's lift up these names before the Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for Ray and Martha coming to know you as Savior and stepping out by faith to do what it is you've called them to in the heart-aching situation that they're in. I pray for their children, for you to convict them of sin and draw them to yourself that they might be gloriously saved and reunited. I pray for Karen and Robert, for Susie and Sam, for Paul and Edna May for Danny and Leona, for Stephen and Sue, for Betty Ann and Ramey, for Andy Ray, for Sarah May, for Adam, especially these ones that were at home and were taken from the home. God, do a great work. Break down all of the barriers, all of the spiritual blindness. I pray that you'd open their eyes to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. And may you do something quite special. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thank mm-hmm. you.